and hydrogen, it's zero emissions gas. ScoMo, stop acting like you know what you're talking about. This is not against coal. That is, fossil fuels are still an important part of the mix. What the fuck? This is definitely against coal. I don't want to turn this into a debate on hydrogen fuel cells because I, I just think that they're extremely silly. Look, I really like you, Elon, but I think you should sit this one out, okay? Just this once. It is a renewable green hydrogen company plus green ammonia and green pr products and they will all come together to crack the code of decarbonising heavy industry. Well done, Mr. Forrest. I think you're onto something here. Okay, so hydrogen is a term you've probably heard a lot about lately, especially in Australia. But it's also a very controversial topic and can either impact you in a good or a bad way. This week on Beers with Engineers, the fellas fuel the podcast with this very hot topic. But before you dive into this one, please head over to Engineering Dads on YouTube and our other socials. Hit the subscribe and notifications button and I hope you enjoyed today's show. And welcome back to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And this is one I'm very, very excited for. Open your beers, boys. Yep, key. I'm opening my rum. <laughs> yeah, ginger beer for me. Alcoholic, I swear. So, when Sean and I started this little click, one thing we wanted to talk about, obviously, was podcasts. And the first topic that came mm. to mind was the topic of hydrogen. Something Ooh, we're yeah. both extremely passionate about, but something both of us disagreed with once upon a time. And we really sort of shamed it, I guess probably a few years ago for myself, but then we started to get the hang of it as Australia started to adapt to it. And over time, mm. we've had our arguments, our disagreements over it, but a lot that we agree on. So this hyd this podcast is all about hydrogen. What the hell is hydrogen? I don't Sean, know. I'll well, let you explain that. I, I can take over this. So hydrogen is just very, very basic. So hydrogen gas is generally speaking what we speak of. Hydrogen gas is uh, unlike other gases, it's just hydrogen. So hydrogen atoms. So two hydrogen atoms makes hydrogen gas. That's it. The difference between that and say like normal petrol is that it has carbon in it. And so the reason that hydrogen's really, really looked forward towards or really looked um, positively towards is because when you burn hydrogen, there's no carbon inside the atoms. So you can burn it and the output is water, H2O. It takes in oxygen, combusts, and then H2O comes out. So there's no carbon coming out of it. And so you can have cars running on hydrogen and no carbon dioxide comes out. You could have massive generation plants. You could have boats. You could have so many industries where you're feeding in the same kind of fuel, but the output's all clean. It's nothing but water vapor, which is so much better for the environment. And so hydrogen has become this kind of mainstay topic. And it's one of the reasons that Australia is really looking forward to it because we are like really well suited to hydrogen. Um, and as the future, we are looking at commodities and like fuel, which isn't as bad for the environment. And hydrogen is that answer right now. It's what we're looking for. But before we get like into the, the uses for it, James, how is hydrogen made? Okay, so there's many ways to do it in theory, but there's two main ways we do it in industry. One of it is called steam reforming and the other one is called electrolysis. And now to say that in simple terms, what steam reforming is, is you get a gas called methane, which is basically a natural gas. So if, if you, our house runs on gas, it's pretty much natural gas, which is a majority methane. It's taking that methane and then getting water, but in the, ver in the form of steam, so water vapor. You take those two things and you put them under pressure and temperature and the resultant... In, um, product is carbon dioxide and hydrogen this is known as what is steam reforming and also mm. um gray or blue hydrogen electrolysis for example is taking water right you it's very very simple you get water and you pump electricity into it yay and then you get at one end hydrogen and then another end oxygen because that's what water essentially is it's the hydrogen monoxide which is two hydrogen and one oxygen so you break the bond. So by putting in all that power, you split the two in half. And then one of the outputs is hydrogen. And yeah. that's mm -hmm. the most favoured way. And in electrolysis, if you think about it, right? So you, you've got H2O water, you apply electricity to it, and that creates um, hydrogen and oxygen separately. You capture the hydrogen, you save it for later, and you burn it, and that creates water. Effectively speaking, hydrogen in this way is like a battery, you're providing electricity to it, it stores it, later it then reverts back to the original format and you can go back and forth. It's a reversible chemical reaction. Hmm. And the thing is, the world's surrounded by fucking water. 70-80% of the world's surface area is water, salt water. I realize it's not great, but it's water. You can get H2O almost anywhere with the exception of certain arid places. Um, yeah. But it's, it's really quite useful. 
And to compare these two processes is well, with the steam reforming, so 95% of total global hydrogen production uses steam reforming, about 95%. But unfortunately, it's um it's pretty much combustion. It's the exact it's chemically equivalent to combustion, and it's also less energy efficient than combustion. So not only is it less efficient, but it produces CO two. So unfortunately, yeah. it's hmm. not the solution if you want to go green. With electrolysis, it the good thing is you can use a renewable energy energy so, uh, renewable energy source. So it's completely green, but it's very energy intensive. It needs a lot of power to do it. And so what Australia and what the glo- uh, global world is trying to do is figure out how we can get a more energy efficient process using renewables in electrolysis. Mm. Mm. Since we're still talking about what is hydrogen, what is the difference between hydrogen and hydrogen peroxide? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what... Uh, or is that a stupid question? No question stupid on the Engineering Dads podcast. Mm. Let's just make that clear. So hydrogen peroxide... Um, it's uh, a poison, pretty much, but they also use it in cleaning products. So mo- a lot of your cleaning, cleaning products will have hydrogen peroxide, which is pretty much H2, which is what hydrogen mm-hmm. is, and then add O2. So it's like water, but with an extra oxygen. So H2O2. Ah, yeah, it's okay. Just, yeah, it's a completely different chemical. But no, good question because- I literally, like, I literally thought it was the same, but just like a fancier name. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know well, what's going on here. Well, speaking of like Greek and Latin terms, right? Hydrogen peroxide. So hydrogen, if, if there is a dye, it usually means like two. Um, so, for example, dihydrogen monoxide, dye, two hydrogen, mono, one oxygen, H2O. So it's it's a really long way of saying water. Um, hydrogen peroxide, pero, or like pent, is five oxide. So it's like five hydrogen, one oxygen. Oh, sorry. I might have got that completely wrong. <laughs> James, you're the chemical expert. Back me up here. I mean, I'm not the Greek expert, but uh, I just know hydrogen peroxide H2O2. I'm not going to talk about prefixes here. <laughs> oh, never mind. I fucked that one up. Um, but yeah, okay. So like um, another question that we can ask is the differences of hydrogen. So like what we hear in the in like industry now is the different types of hydrogen, but where it comes from, right? So I know that there's a fact that like blue, green, Oh, no, so blue, blue, grey, and green hydrogen. James, can you explain the difference between the three? Because they come up all the time. Yep, so grey hydrogen is simply using a coal station or any other fossil fuel-based source to produce hydrogen using steam reforming, as I described. Blue hydrogen is doing the exact same thing, but having a method of being able to capture the carbon to make it, in a way, net zero. And then green hydrogen is simply just electrolysis, but instead of using coal or any other fossil fuel to do it, you use a renewable energy source. Sorry, that's green hydrogen. Yeah, so for electrolysis. Yeah. So my understanding was grey hydrogen was using like a steam or a gas, and so it, it emits a carbon. So it uses it is still like electrolysis, or it's, it's a process that breaks apart gas molecules and the outputs carbon. Blue hydrogen was the exact same thing, but that carbon coming off it, you capture. And then green hydrogen was uh, where the input is water, and you use renewables, so there's nothing in the production phase or like the actual input phase that could be carbon emissions. Yeah. So when you don't talk about blue hydrogen, so like you got we in that subset of grey hydrogen, you also have brown hydrogen. So that's that encompasses the whole non-renewable mm. energy source or fossil fuels, but it never touches electrolysis. It's just always steam reforming. Whereas when you yeah. talk about green, you're, you're literally just doing it using renewables and electrolysis. Like Yeah, you're using water there's, and there's renewables. no fossil fuels involved in it regardless yeah. of what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of giving a foundation. So green hydrogen is really what we need because at the end of the day, a kilo of hydrogen, regardless of where it comes from, will do the exact same thing. It doesn't matter if it comes from steam, coal, or from electrolysis with renewable energy. But how it's like being used is really important. How it's being produced is really important. So there's a reason that Australia has been really looking at hydrogen for two reasons. One, we have a lot of commodities such as coal and gas. So blue hydrogen can be quite useful. And internationally, everyone wants hydrogen. And so if we just say, oh, we've got heaps of hydrogen here, guys, it just means that like um, coal and gas can have a bit more uh, life going forward because realistically, coal commodities are dropping. No one's really demanding that stuff. This just kind of gives them a bit of life. The other reason is Australia has a lot of renewable energy. We have a lot of solar farms. We have a lot of wind farms. And most importantly, we have a lot of fucking space. We can have so much space. And even though we're one of the largest land masses in the world, we have the lowest density, I think, besides like a few countries. Mm. Um, and so we can produce green hydrogen at a massive scale. And Australia become a net exporter. The same way we were exporting coal and, and gas 
and like iron ore, we can now be exporting huge amounts of hydrogen going forward. So this is like the next commodity. It's like gold coming forward. The only problem is how to produce it. And this is kind of like the argument of how how to properly make it. And so with hydrogen, there's the argument, should we go centralized or decentralized? And James, I think you're the best one suited to explain that. Yeah, absolutely. So just to touch on one of your points as well, Sean, is Australia is fucking huge in terms of exports. By 2050, it's predicted we're going to be exporting about 25.9 million tons. Russia follows behind at about 10. And you can imagine all the land they have. And then you have America at 4.5. So a country like the States is so much lower. And the countries that need the import are going to be like countries like France, Japan, South Korea, and China. And you can imagine why. The footprint is very limited. Now, to answer your question on what centralized versus decentralized is, yeah, to put it plainly, is it's kind of like the Bitcoin network. You have decentralized and centralized. <laughs> I'm joking. We'll talk about that later. But what's the... <laughs> What centralized basically Paddy is... Paddy wants to talk about Bitcoin so badly. <laughs> you can see him edging towards the mic. Finally, oh. finally. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, put it, to put it simply, centralized is producing it um, at some sort of a location, whether that be a large facility, a rural facility, and then you take the output and you transport it somewhere else. So, for example, if you're producing hydrogen in the form of a gas, um, you then compress that gas and put it in a, in a storage tank. A truck would come pick that up and deliver it to where it needs to go or take it overseas. Um, decentralized, on the other hand, is actually doing it all in the location, right? So, it's very small. It can be small-scale or large-scale production, so an example of that, of that would be is if you're driving a hydrogen car, your where you refuel the hydrogen, where you put the hydrogen in is where it's also being produced. So you'd have electrolyzers with water at that plant. At the same time, the hydrogen would be getting stored somewhere, and you'd fuel it into your car. So they're very so it's, to to put it plainly, centralized. You transport it, decentralized. It's all done in that location. Mm. I think that's yeah. the most simple way of saying it. Yeah, and so, like, right now, looking at where hydrogen is going, it, it very much looks centralized, right? Like, imagine um, imagine hydrogen production is like a nuclear facility, right? You need them to be big, and you need them to be in the right location. You can't, you don't really see small nuclear stations. If they are, they're still massive compared to, like, what a small solar farm would look like, Um Unlike solar, where you've got the same module can be used in a solar farm or a house, you can have a 5 kilowatt system or a 5 gigawatt system, and they just take up more room. That's the only difference. You can't really do that yet with hydrogen. And there are some technologies that are kind of looking at small-scale hydrogen production. Actually, one of them was came out of our uni, right? The lav system, lavo. La- the lavo battery, yeah. So that was that was in its in its own right a decentralized plant, a miniature plant for a house that cost thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> and there was a time when it was competing with the Tesla Powerwall, and it was just like this is a completely different system, and it's so inefficient. And the reason why it's so inefficient is because at each step of the process, you're losing energy, you're losing heat. Um, in the electrolysis process, you need a lot of energy to do that. You then have to then condense the gas and compress it into a powder right you lose heat in mm. that once it's stored in the power powder that powder can actually only contain three percent by weight of hydrogen you then have to burn all of that powder to release yeah. it again losing heat energy so by the time yeah. you actually get to the um fuel cell part of it it's only about 23 to 27 percent efficient so it's in retrospect it's really fucking cool how it works but it just yeah. doesn't work and this is why decentralized hydrogen is just like not great right now, but the argument that I try and make with it is it's good for it, it can be good for off grid um, electricity and rural applications where you know transportation isn't so much of a luxury, mm. but not yet. We've got to get to that, you know, we've got to get there in the technology phase first. How we're going to optimize that, which we'll get to later in the podcast. Yeah, so just for like a bit of inside information, James and I have been fighting about um, hydrogen off podcast for a long time about how to use it where it'll be used and whatnot and this is kind of like where the points this is where James and I start to differ in opinion because um, as someone that kind of looked at and with home batteries and residential I was like Lavo has no opportunity here like I think the battery price is going to drop by the time the Lavo is going to look useful and I, I wasn't convinced by it. But James is also on the side of chemistry where he's like, nah, Sean, you're wrong. And so this became quite a strong argument back and forth. Um, 
But I, I do like the way it's designed. I do like its actual aspirational goal. I just think economically and efficiently, it's not going to crack that market yet. Yeah, and I think there are ways we can make it much more efficient, you know, push up to that 70-80% battery efficiency with chemicals. It's very, very possible. We just haven't got to that part of the research yet. And, you know, we can't really talk about that now is because right now our goal is to meet net zero, right? Not to optimize what we currently have. It's really just to do everything we can to meet it as fast as we can do it and to focus on how we can make better catalyst, which is just increasing the rate of electrolysis pretty much. We don't have time to do that. We're pretty much fighting our own fire. Yeah, exactly. Look, again, models will iterate, uh, technology will be learnt, new things will be made, um, and as the technology is adopted, it'll mature. But right now, I just don't think that small-scale hydrogen is is the way to go. Um, why I think that it's going to be centralised is because of how how the world looks for hydrogen consumption. Like, like We're talking about Australia becoming a huge exporter, and there's a few reasons why. One, we're surrounded by fucking heaps of water, Okay. Two, we can we can get heaps of solar panels. Like the one of the world's largest solar farms. I'm not sure if you boys are across this. is called a Sun the Sun Cable Project. Pretty much, it is a massive solar farm in Northern Territory, which will provide no electricity to Australia. It should be bigger. I've been saying it since we started the podcast. We should have like 20 massive, like 20 kilometer long solar panel farms in Australia. Is, is this the solar panel that's exporting all the energy to Singapore? Correct. It is. The Sun Cable, it's it's so, um, Taddy. No, unfortunately, it's not in the middle of Australia. It's right on the the coast. Um, so it's it's not in the. <laughs> I can see you being aggressive. Stop Jeez. waving your hands. Put your hands down the podcast. No, I'm um, albatrossing it. Fuck you. <laughs> eagle mode. But, eagle mode. Eagle. Got eagle it. <laughs> yeah, but the point being is, I, I want to talk about the sun, the Sun Cable project because one, it's being funded by Twiggy Forest and. Um, Maybe not funded by Twiggy Forest, but really supported by Twiggy Forest. And ScoMo. God, ScoMo <laughs> wouldn't touch that thing with a 10-foot pole. Unless you saw him this morning, really pro-net zero. Uh, I think Murdoch finally got into his ear. Um, but the but the other one was like a Mike Cannon-Brooks, who owns Slack and Atlassian. Um, really smart guy from Sydney, billionaire. Um, he's developing this project. And imagine that, right? You're building the world's largest solar farm. In Australia, not a single joule of energy will go to Australia. It'll go straight to Singapore. And why? Singapore can't build a fucking solar farm. It's a tiny little island. And with solar panels, you need a lot of space. You don't... It's high real estate. You look at Hong Kong. You look at, like, big cities near the water. They don't have a lot of room. If they did, they'd have farms nearby, you know? What about the administration building and the lights for the toilets and the solar farm? Surely they're going to touch. I that. think I think that might be separate. It might be a separate <laughs> grid. Yeah, like I, you'd think shit. they would, but there's a chance it might not. So how do they but transport the, that energy? Sorry. Well, it, the the name of the project is called a Sun Cable, James. I'm going to give you two guesses of how they transport the electricity to Singapore. Sun. That's one of your options. It can't be a cable. cable. You can't tell can't me that they're on a cable it, all the way to Singapore. They use a the they cable. use a Wi-Fi modem. That's, That's what so they cool. <laughs> it's like the underground. It's like the underground gas pipes. Yeah, yeah. The underground. It's like the telecommunication um, network that Telstra has between like Australia and Singapore and New Zealand. The undersea cables. Um, there's not not so much stuff going to satellites still which is really disappointing. But the point being is, right, you've got these really small countries that have huge energy consumption and they want to go renewable, right? But they just can't because they can't build anything. So right now, their solution is build in other countries. But yeah. if we go hydrogen, you don't need the sun cable. So Australia can export heaps of this like renewable energy, store it as hydrogen and send it to places which need it. And for example, Japan. Japan's really, really tight, right? It's one of the densest countries in the world. We've been to... We've been to Tokyo. Uh, I have. Has people on the podcast realized that we've gone to Japan? I don't think we've ever brought it up on this podcast before. No, well, not we've once. Been to Japan. Not once. No, probably not, not once. Yeah. Whatever goes on in the onsen stays in the onsen, fellas. But the point being is Japan is a really dense country. It has a lot of consumption of nuclear and gas because they don't have a lot of room for solar. When they can, they fit some in, but they really don't. And outside of Japan, it's really deep. The water's so deep, you can't actually mount wind farms onto the bottom of the seabed like we do in Australia, they're actually floating in the ocean. And so those, the, the like wind farm you have in Japan might actually move a few hundred kilometers. And it's just kind of this terrifying idea. 
So Japan's in this really awkward situation. They want to get out of nuclear, they want to get out of gas, but they can't build solar or batteries or wind. So they're looking to import pretty much all of their energy out of Australia. Australia, a country of currently like 20 to 30 million, will be supplying Japan with over 100 million people into it on energy. This is a market that Australia is going to crack. And if it happens, they're only going to take green hydrogen. They're very clear on that. Blue hydrogen's fucking dead. Nail in that coffin. Anyways, yeah. so I just had a rant about that. So to put that into perspective, and before we move on to where hydrogen's going to be used and, and utilized, so Europe currently, by 2050, have contributed up, up to over $1 trillion. And this, sorry, this is by 2030. The US, $2 trillion by 2030, and Japan, also $2 trillion by 2030 as well. So, this is to meet their net zero target in 2050 as well. And that's going to be going into renewables, um, eco cars, and the whole entire hydrogen economy. And that's why they're being very clear on green hydrogen as well, is because they're willing to spend the extra money on it just to meet their net zero target in 2050. And also, the industries that are committed to it. Um, so, you have Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon. I don't know why Bezos is doing this by 2030 <laughs> to 2040. Um, good on him, but doesn't seem like him. Um, the automotive industry got Volkswagen. You've got um, BMW. You got Daimler. Yeah. You got hard. You got um, Hyundai. Toyota would be in there for sure. Yeah, they're looking at hydrogen as their solution, but now you they've switched to EVs. You also have BP, Shell, and Total who want to do this to meet their 2050 net zero target. So hmm. not only do you have the support of the world. And different countries, you also have the support of the industry. So this is being backed so much by both industry and government. It's crazy. So with that, I think we should go into where hydrogen is going to be utilized in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I can touch on it a little bit here. Um, Space travel. So hydrogen, yeah, travel. Fucking wait, wait, say it probably, again. Probably. Yeah. Who knows? Travel. Space travel. Well, <laughs> well, actually, the the Bezos rocket, the um, what the Blue Voyager, that was hydrogen. So Ooh. technically, space travel can be renewable. Oh, and the reason why Isn't that hot? and the and the reason why Bezos is investing in this is because he feels guilty. He spent so much money on just one trip to space. He's like, oh, I need to give something yeah. back. But yeah, no, I love Bezos. Keep giving us the Amazon gift cards. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like, what are you talking about? <laughs> get on, get on with the point. Yeah, okay, get on the point. How is hydrogen going to be used? So hydrogen is a fuel. It's a fuel source. It is can be stored as the standard gas form as H2. It can be saved in metal hydride and catalyst that James kind of touched on. It can even be saved as ammonia, which is one um, four hydrogen, one nitrogen. And so it's like this liquid form, which it makes it easy for transport to send to other countries and whatnot. Um, and so you can package it, sell it, move it, burn it. There's a lot of uses for it. And so it covers a lot of that area where electric vehicles can't really get or battery technology can't really crack in terms of renewable energy. So large-scale transport, um, cruise ships, right? You can only have so many big batteries on a cruise ship or like a transport ship, but you can have really large tanks of fuel that you can fill up really quickly. Mm. And so large-scale voyages, um, industrial uses. So a lot of the hydrogen that we produce with grey hydrogen nowadays is required to make steel and like goods and whatnot. So it's still a feedstock for a lot of um, goods and services. So we still need quite a bit of hydrogen regardless. But the 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 like industries that I'll target is really transport. Patty got it on the head because it was just like uh, planes will eventually start using hydrogen going forward as well. Like electric vehicles and planes would kind of go for short flights, but that long distance stuff, I reckon hydrogen's going to get there if you get a right catalyst. Um, yeah, boats, travels, and trucks. A lot of industries by that will be using hydrogen going forward. Yep. I wanna, yep. I want to. Sorry, I want to cut in. I want to throw a hypothetical since we're talking about travel. If we were to convert to hydrogen fueled vehicles, yeah, would the petrol would the prices be higher or lower than they currently are for fossil fuels? It'd be on a supply and demand basis, right? Yeah, so that's exactly what it is now. So the demand for it would decrease drastically. Supply for it would also be like actually supply wouldn't be too high. So it's it is you know it's a great question because we don't have the supply of fossil fuels. Mm. So it would probably well, be like, expensive, yeah. You look at England right now, right? So they've had a, a problem with Brexit where there's not enough lorry drivers moving fuel into England. And so the supply of of just normal petrol gas has dipped like crazy, but the demands remain the same. And so it's gone this standard market 
uh, principles, if the supply doesn't equal demand, something will change, and that's the price. And so the price has skyrocketed three times as much, right? So if you do the opposite, right, where you've now pulling out demand, pulling out demand, supply, the, the cost to supply will fucking crash, right? Because they're holding that, that price with scarcity. The value of making fuel versus the, the price they put on the pump doesn't match up ever. Like, it'll never be, like, at cost, right? Because they can just say, oh, they, they want, uh, everyone needs fuel, jack up the prices. Like, right now, we just came out of lockdown, and guess what? Hairdressers put up their prices by $10 to two places I visited. Why? Because they know people are going to pay for it. Same thing they do with fuel. Why aren't you going to a barber? Oh, I'm not. My dad was. He's, he hasn't had a haircut in three months, the poor boy. He's, he's, yeah. he's just like the boy. Scotty, Scotty looks scruffy. Scotty's yeah. going to the salon. Yeah. Sounds like Any. a kiss sounds like a kids book. Scotty's trip to the salon. That's maybe something we do in our free time, Pats. Yeah. <laughs> um something Sean touched on was fuel cells, right? Mm. So what fuel cells are is they're pretty much similar to batteries, but they're made mostly of graphite metals, then you have valves, pumps, and compressors. And they have a very, very low greenhouse gas footprint, probably like six thousand CO two equivalent. And the reason there is still that um, greenhouse gas is because it uses platinum which contributes to over 2,000, which is like about 73% of that. So graphite are these bipolar plates, and they can be reused, and that's a very good thing about the hydrogen economy. And 70% less emission is using the production of a fuel cell than, say, your average battery for a transit bus. So now, when we talk about using electric vehicles like cars versus using fuel cells for transportation, the reason you'd stick to your Tesla for your electric vehicle is because when you go for a drive, for example, Mm. you only drive to the shops and back most of the time. You only drive to work. You only maximum maybe one or two hours. So finding a charging station, one, probably won't be too hard. And two, you're still going to have charge when you get home. Charge. Now, think of a bus and a truck or a train, for example. They're doing very, very long trips. And the beauty about fuel cells is they actually last a lot longer than your normal batteries and they charge a lot quicker. I think it charges in about Mm. 8 minutes to 15 minutes for different applications. So, a beautiful thing about this is the Biden administration just released a US California policy and what the mandate is, is that 50% of all new transit buses must be zero emission in 2025 and a few classes of trucks must be zero emission in 2024 and then that just increases to 2035 um, based on the different classes. So that's going to be very, very hard. Finally, the Biden administration has just moved a bill to put all road vehicles to non-ice in a 2030 timeframe. Non-ice in 2030. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, it's the same one. I think he's following Boris Johnson's deal of the 2030, no ice. And that's following like like Germany, like BMW, Bavarian Motor Group, like them. They're moving to no diesel, no fuel by 2030. Like, it blows my mind to see, like, the world switching and no one's really paying attention to it. Um, But, like, something I want to touch on as well is that transport thing. Yeah, electric vehicles, generally speaking, 95% of travel data, and I did look at this research for my project, my research project, 95% of trips are, like, 30 kilometers or less. This is both for, like, urban and, like, rural areas. There's very few times you need, like, a long-distance trip. Um, and so electric vehicles cover that distance for a private user, having an electric vehicle makes sense. And in Sydney, we're seeing a lot of electric buses now replace the normal buses. (laughs) Okay. Here's a funny story from my boss who lived in Bondi, where Bondi, they actually swapped the buses from normal ice diesel trucks or uh, ice engines to EVs, right? And they started getting complaints. They said, because the EV buses are so quiet they can now hear the air conditioning unit on the bus and that's too loud for them. It, like, rattles the window. Not the fact that there's diesel and fumes and that there's a diesel engine running next to you. The air conditioning unit on the EVs are too loud. A real complaint. I feel like that's, like, ASMR, though. If I heard the air conditioning just, like, I would just be like, yeah, this yeah. is <laughs> this is relaxing. Not... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, like, what would you set, prefer the sound of a diesel engine, which diesel engines um, compared to petrol sound awful. I'd rather a petrol engine just that sound of accelerating, um, for one. And two, like, the humming of an air conditioning unit, some people need that to fall asleep. I know, like, I need sometimes need a fan on, just so, even if it's bloody, like, cold, just so I can hear that sound to go to sleep. Anyway, the point being is electric vehicles are replacing small transport and then public transport in terms of, like, trains, buses going forward. Um the only time that 
hydrogen is going to become advantageous is when you need to fill up quickly, which doesn't really happen often, and when you need to travel really far distances. But even then, they'll probably be about 30 40% extra range than an EV. So it's not much better. Like it, in terms of density and fuel tank, we haven't really captured the same volume compared to petrol yet. So it's yeah. it's always going to be a little bit of a like a payoff or like a, a trade-off to try and get it there. But that being said, like with new change, you need to change your behavior. But if you do it right, you could be like so much better and so much more cost-effective. Both of these uh, technologies are really quite low when you look at scale of economy. They're really quite cheap if we do it right. Yeah, and that's the thing. Buses only have a range of about 450 kilometers, but they deliver mm-hmm. consistent power and the fuel cell has life for 15 years. So, like, that's that's for a hydrogen bus. It's it's not like 450Ks. It's, it's not a crazy amount, but it's long enough for you to do a day's work of taking mm. customers and patrons around. So, I think that's pretty cool. Something else I, I touched on was using graphite in fuel cells. And this is something that I really wanted to talk about in the podcast. It's a company we have in Australia called Hazer. And yeah, Hazer, you can sponsor us when your ASX price goes up after <laughs> this podcast. That's fine. But basically what Hazer do is they produce graphite as well as hydrogen in the same process. So they actually produce like the material that's required to make a battery, right? All they're mm. doing is getting methane and then they're putting it over a catalyst. So that's something that speeds up the reaction rate. And when they put it over this like pressurized bed, the result, the rea- the products are hydrogen and graphite. And this is an amazing process. It's only something that's going to be done on small scale. So again, we're talking about that decentralized versus centralized stuff. Wouldn't, and they're, but they're using it locally for ships, right? And then that yeah. poses the question of where are you going to use a hydrogen fuel cell on a ship? Because you guys are talking about 450 kilometers for boats and sorry, for buses and trucks. How are you going to use it on a boat? Mm. Well, it's a great question. So depending on how level they run a boat, you can actually use hydrogen for when it's sitting at the port because you're actually still using a lot of like, think of it when you guys go on a cruise Standby ship. Standby right? power, yeah. Yeah. You're still going partying. You're still using the toilet. You're still doing this. You're still doing that. <laughs> You're using a lot of power. Imagine hydrogen providing all of that power when it's on standby. It's amazing, Mm. right? Like all the little compromises you can make. So this is not just like a one meets all solution. And this is something Sean and I touched on a lot in the past is like, you know, in these arguments, it's like, it's not the be all end all solution, but it's the little contributions are what matters. Everyone does it right. That's where we are. Yeah, absolutely. Like looking at it, in terms of efficiency, this is where it really breaks down to an efficiency. Uh, electric vehicles and batteries and electric power is is the king here. And there's a few reasons why. Imagine you needed to charge your car. So uh, let's assume something really dirty, like a, a coal station, right? You've got a coal power station a few hundred kilometers away, and that transmits it through an electric cable at 95% to your house. Then the house, 95% into the car, the car burns it at 90%. So again, you're looking at like a 70% efficiency curve, right? Now, if you had to do it with hydrogen, right? You have to produce hydrogen at a really large facility a few hundred kilometers away. Not that efficient. You're talking about 40, 50%. You then have to mm-hmm. transport the hydrogen either through a pipe or through a truck. Again, massive drop in efficiency. It gets to the car, you fill up your car with hydrogen, and then that the car burns hydrogen again at 50%. You're looking at like 5% efficiency from source to site compared to 70. And so it's like this, it's this big argument that you need to crack down on that efficiency. You need to have the right facility made up. You need to really improve it at the start or in the transport. Otherwise, it's just not going to crack that basis. So hydrogen and batteries together, that's the future. Like regardless of what people think is going to happen, they think coal is going to stay around. It's not. Hydrogen and batteries, that is where you put your money. So this is an interesting point to touch on as well is, you know, a couple of decades ago, the price of using solar was a couple of dollars per kilowatt hour, whereas it was, now... It was like a dollar ninety a watt. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's only a few cents. Do yeah, you, seven, and that, and that was because that was because improvements in technology and advancements in the efficiency of solar panel. Do you think we'll see a very similar shift in the hydrogen economy? I think we might, but like to be honest, solar was only really developed in the 70s and 80s when they realized you could make a reaction with silicon sunlight. And so you've had this like 40, 50 year learning curve and that's what we call learning rates. Um, where if you have a technology, you develop it, it's going to be really expensive. Um, then eventually it cracks that barrier. A great example of this, right? So 
in in I think Newcastle CSIRO, they developed they're trying to develop a new way to communicate using a different type of uh, frequency. And like, and so you don't need to understand what it is, but it's like the idea of transmitting information over a certain turn of frequency. Eventually, they've developed uh, a certain connection and establishment where you could communicate really quickly, which was then promptly named Wi-Fi. Now, the Australian government invested $100 million into this project. Mm. Nowadays, every single household in the world has Wi-Fi. The Australian government getting your money back on that, but how much better your life has been with this invention. So, solar went through the exact same curve, right? It was really, really expensive. You had to throw money at it. Like, it was like $400 for a little cell, whereas nowadays $400 can get you a full, like, big panel, big fuck-off panel. Um, I'm not sure if hydrogen will go down that same path because a trolysis we've had around for several hundred years now. We've had it for, like, 190? Is that right? No, probably less. Sorry, less than that. We've had it for a very long time. And we haven't really cracked that barrier still. So, yes, we can throw a lot of money into it. We can invest quite a bit. We will get better with it. But I'm not convinced we're going to get that same market breakthrough with hydrogen that we did with Wi-Fi, with um, cellular uh, cellular devices and solar and batteries. And I think this is where me and you greatly disagree, disagree yeah. on hydrogen because <laughs> like i i am su- such a strong believer that the hydrogen economy will be boosted so much through improved efficiency in hydrogen mm. fuel cells and batteries just because chemically speaking there's so many ways to do it and the reason they haven't looked into it to now is because we've only recently started to crack photocatalysis nanoparticles mm. and better storage so to put this like plainly the conventional ways of storing hydrogen right now is either compressing it but to do that, you have to go up to 350 to 700 bar for it to be mm. considered efficient at all. So, to put that into perspective, you think of the atmosphere right now, times that by 350. Think of how much compression you have to do to get there. Yeah. Very expensive. The other way to do it, and this is what they're currently using in some vehicles, is liquid fire hydrogen. And that's getting it down to minus 253 degrees Celsius. Again, very expensive and wasteless process getting it down to that much. A good thing with liquid hydrogen is it has a flat energy density of three hundred, sorry, thirty-three point three kilowatt hours per kilogram, which is pretty good. So to put that into perspective, between coal, coal is only eight kilowatt hours per kilogram. Now, a couple of other ways we have storing energy, what we touched on is metal hydrates. They're safe and they have a high hydrogen storage density in terms of volume. Ammonia, you can store that at liquid at room temperature. And it can be reformed to produce hydrogen. There's no toxic waste, but the ammonia itself is only toxic to handle. So what we're seeing now is these metal hydrides. So what a metal hydride is is a powered powder, right? That can be like in the form of aluminium, in the form of sodium, lithium, and that can absorb hydrogen on its surface when it's cooled down. Now the problem with that is, is it doesn't have enough weight percentage of hydrogen. Yeah. So it's very inefficient. So you need to like have a lot of that material by kilogram. Not mm. necessarily by volume. So to put it into perspective, coal, petrol, and diesel are all up there. Lithium ion batteries, they have a low energy density by liter, but very, very high by kilogram. That's why they're very good for cars, is because you don't need a heavy battery for it to run. Metal hydrides, for example, by kilogram, it's only like half a kilo, one kilo, mm. but by volume, it's very, very high. So what they need to optimize is the type of alloy they use in a metal hydride to get that storage capacity even better. Now, there's many ways to do this. Another way to do it is by using a catalyst in the electrolysis process, by speeding up that reaction. So, there are many ways to go around about it, but yeah, that's going to get into the the, the boring chemistry side of it, which um, I don't want to bore the audience on. If I haven't already, what was what was your the the number that you said for pressure again for like the pressure of a hydrogen tank for it to be uh, efficient? Between three hundred and fifty to seven hundred bar. So how many pre- how many atmosphere is that? It's roughly the same, like one atmosphere and one bar. I always assume okay. Roughly so equal. let's say low. What's a bar? Okay, so I'll I'll kind of explain the 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 metric. So atmosphere is the pressure that you feel at standard um at standard level of so the higher you go up in like on you know however you go up to Mount Everest the pressure becomes lighter the air becomes lighter you don't feel as much mm-hmm. everything is lighter because pressure is pushing down atmospheres and molecules are really hard on the surface of the planet so what we're feeling right now in this exact moment is known as one atmosphere which is 101.325 kilopascals or something like that off the top of my head yeah yeah so 
you know when you go into a pool or the ocean, doesn't matter, both of them do the exact same thing, and you go about as deep as you can go, about four or five meters down, you feel pressure around you, right? It feels like it's your eyes are getting squeezed and you can feel your ears tighten and you can feel everything looks like harder to swim through, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So every 10 meters under the water, that's that's another atmosphere. So right now above us, right now we're feeling one atmosphere. You go 10 meters down, that's two atmosphere. For hydrogen to be efficient, it needs to be 300 atmospheres. That's a me- it's the metric. So it's a re- really, really high pressure that you need to store it at currently. And James is talking about trying to save it as instead of being under pressure, under it as a gas, using it as a solid or as a liquid where you can save it as a, another density without having that huge amounts of pressure to put it into. Okay, cool. Bit of an explanation on that one. Any other questions, Pads? Uh, you know... T- I, I'm, I'm already confused by everything that's going on. <laughs> However, you did mention at the very start that there were three types, ty- uh, that you named three types mm. of uh, production methods for hydrogen going forward, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. There's two main ones, but there's, yeah, a third one that there's I like. The, there's the steam, the methane, uh, the, the methane, and the electrolysis of water, correct? Electrolysis, yeah. Oh, yeah. Electrolysis, yeah. 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 I'm I'm following the the most reliable source of information. You guys all know it and say it with me. Wikipedia, Wikipedia. you know, buddy. <laughs> but there's a there's a fourth process, and th- yeah. I cannot pronounce it for the life of me. So how do you pronounce that? Pyrolysis. No, it's a kav- It starts with a K. Kavana process. Can you say that again? Kavana process. I don't know. <laughs> How do you pronounce it? <laughs> if you're telling me like the is like the K is silent, I'll be I'm gonna be shooting myself. Oh god! <laughs> Can you like spell that out for me? I want to make sure I've got the right thing here. It's not it's not the Kev- Kevlar K- process. Yeah, cave K V and then the A and the E are together, so it's A E R N E R. Sounds French. Yeah. And it's for the um, it's for carbon black and hydrogen gas. Yeah. Is okay. It- so. It's- <laughs> It's probably just a very specific way of using it under like certain pressure, catalysts, and atmosphere and whatnot. Nah, bastard. Um, it's basic. Yeah, it's basically getting like it, it's pretty much what I said with the hazy process. It's like pyrolysis. So carbon black is like it can be graphite, for example. There's no like specific term of what it is. Um, and using hydrocarbons such as natural gas, methane, and biogas with no greenhouse mm. gas pollution because your product is um carbon and hydrogen. So it's, Pretty much, it's very similar to the Hazer process. So, if you look up what that is, yeah, you will find like a few similarities to that. So, like I said, like at the start of the podcast, there's very like different theoretical ways of doing it, but some haven't been optimized yeah. because they can't be done on a large scale. They're too expensive, and no one wants to invest into it. Yeah. So, like a good comparison between grey hydrogen, which is that whole industry of you get gas, you crack it, and so you get hydrogen gas come out, as well as carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is a gas, fucks off to the atmosphere and screws up the planet. The CAVA process, same kind of thing. You've got biogas and stuff coming through, except the carbon stuff coming out as a gas comes out as a solid, which you can kind of scoop up with a dustpan and throw it into a little container, like a Tupperware for later. Um, so you can kind of capture the carbon dioxide. That being said, something I kind of want to talk about, um, carbon capture and storage, which is what blue hydrogen is. So this would probably use the cave process. You're capturing the carbon, you're storing it somewhere for later. Carbon capture doesn't fucking work. We've, we've been trying to do carbon capture for like 20 years. It has never worked. They had one in like Western Australia, largest one in the world. It didn't like capture any carbon for five years in operation. And guess what? We paid $60 million, the Australian taxpayer, to get it funded. Didn't work a bit. So if we've as historically never had carbon capture working, we're not going to have it working going into the future. We're not going to have these massive targets that blue hydrogen have. Um, it's just a way for coal to stay relevant. It's like your grandpa showing that he bought the latest Nokia. It's not going to work. Absolutely, yeah. And I think... With carbon capture and storage, we could probably have a, our own podcast on that. Not that I want to, about like how, you know, coming from me personally, like I I didn't study it much in my degree because I didn't choose that path of the masters and sorry, the path of the honors. It just didn't appeal to me, but we learned a bit about it. But I never learned the traditional way of pumping it into the ground 
the yeah. carbon capture I learned was small scale absorbing it over beds and um, mm. absorption and all that. And I like that process because I think that's pretty cool, but I never saw it working on a large never scale. Never really worked. And yeah, no so, one's told me it does. Exactly. Like it historically has not worked. And so just for people to edu- educate a few people. So there's a difference between carbon capture storage and carbon capture use in storage. They're very, very different. Carbon capture means that you get carbon dioxide, you suck it in, put it into the, the ground. Carbon capture use in storage means you do that exact same process, except you use that gas to try and get more fuel out of the planet. And so the actual fuel you burn from getting using the, car, the, the carbon dioxide that you pumped into the ground, the, you get fuel out. You create more carbon dioxide than you actually stored. So if anyone in the business or industry says carbon capture use and storage, walk away from that conversation because they're not on your side. They are definitely like, oh, let's just like fuck up the planet more and we'll use your money to do it. Just just yeah. something to mm. look out for. Do not avoid CCUS under every situation. Interesting, interesting. Mm. I do have one point I want to make about this subject because um, obviously Shoot. I'm the leader of this group and i know everything about this hydrogen business all hail king paddy <laughs> exactly exactly king the paddy. guy the guy that doesn't even know the difference between hydrogen and hydrogen peroxide which is why i asked the question before because i want to do something involving hydrogen because if it feels oh fuck it'll feel like a waste if we were talking about this subject for you know over i want to say over an hour and we didn't even have a pitch to go along with it so mm. Unfortunately, the pitch involves hydrogen peroxide, which is why I was like, "God damn it!" I was really hoping that it was the same thing, but I'm still Ugh. gonna, I'm still gonna go for it because. Does it have to do with an elephant? Yes, it does. <laughs> oh, what? Hold on. Explain, Patty. Explain your pitch. Okay, so I think we all know the craze. Well, I think I think uh, the be- the best way to start this is with the a leading uh, question. Don't we all? We all like science, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's an open-ended question. Oh, there no, it is. Like, as 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 a staunch as a staunch Christian, no, I I, I prefer Christianity. All right, go, believes in all right. Read, read your Bible. Right. All right, go back to Hillsong, why don't you? Um, <laughs> geez, uh, sorry, Scomo. Um, the reason why I say do you like science is because there's this thing called elephant toothpaste. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and which uses hydrogen peroxide. And I yeah. want us to do something involving that. And I was hoping you guys would have ideas. I, I, I spoke about this to Sean when we first ever started doing engineering dads. It's been done so many times that it's like, but what are you going to do with it that's different? Then? I know. There's that's, that's, so much you can do with it. I know. Because I start, I went on a bit down a bit of a YouTube rabbit hole and this... Again, like as you said, so much has been done with it. I was thinking, like, is there mm. oh, is there something we can do that's different? I don't know. Mm. And then I I think I found a marketing white tactic we can use as engineering dads, even a product right. we can sell. Elephant toothpaste in a can. Oh god, <laughs> that um, I don't know if you know this, but um. Elephant toothpaste is an exothermic reaction, meaning it releases heat upon reaction, which means it's hot. So it's like shooting lava in someone's face if it hit them, right? Mm. Yeah, so there's there's a safety issue here. (laughs) You can't just hand someone a can, like a can been shaken up. (laughs) I was wondering why everyone was running away once they unleashed the the wrath of the elephant. (laughs) It's like a hot toothpaste like it's like hot foam coming out where it could cause burning and scalding and is absolutely poisonous so you can't breathe it in so you could just this could be a great way to kill someone but make it like a funny prank i don't james what's some other uses for what we could use i'm thinking like a hydrogen peroxide elephant toothpaste rocket um i don't know uses for hydrogen peroxide there are many here like the beauty about it is is we can probably integrate this with our space right Send a sp- something, send something mm. into space and mid-flight initiate the elephant toothpaste reaction. So you have like oh, a flying dude. elephant toothpaste. That hasn't been done before. So if you're going to do it, fuck off. We're going to sue you. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, that's not a terrible idea. Bring it up to really low atmosphere to almost, almost no gravity. Um, the problem is even at high altitude, you're still going to have gravity. Obviously, uh, what was that astronaut? Not the astronaut, but the guy in the Red Bull who jumped out of a hot air balloon. Um, With no parachute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So even then, you'll still experience gravity, but it'll be lighter. 
why won't be as fast. You why don't you unleash fast. that? Like, what do you? Why don't you unleash the elephant toothpaste whilst you're skydiving? Now I'm. The thing is, we talked about elephant toothpaste. Like, if in a can would kill someone from like being right next to them. Now we're talking about dropping elephant toothpaste from a high altitude over a small country. We're gonna get in trouble with like New Zealand because we've dropped an airstrike on them. I I can see. I, I see nothing wrong with his logic. I think nothing. Nothing has ever been formed with hydrogen that has caused destruction. <laughs> also, actually, no. I think the hyd- the elephant toothpaste won't work in high atmosphere because it's an exothermic reaction requires oxygen to work. In high altitude you have very low oxygen, correct? You have less, but it's 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 Is it's not almost none. Nah, you don't you don't need oxygen for um yeah, no, so oh, it really? breaks down right. into water and oxygen. So it's already got oxygen in it, right? So all you need all you need right, yeah, is a okay. catalyst for it to happen. You don't need pressure, you don't need anything. So hydrogen peroxide will naturally form elephant toothpaste over a long time. Won't be dramatic. So you pretty much just have to get like potassium iodide, which you can get from cleaning products and pour it in to the hydrogen peroxide. Yeah. I just find it fascinating how it like creates all the different colors. Okay. Okay. If that's the case, if it's, if oxygen is on the left side of the equation, you could have a massive, it could be a much bigger one because the pressure would be lighter. So it would expand faster and go out further. I thought the colors just food dye. They added to to it before. It is. It's food dye. Oh, there you go. Oh, That's no. a stupid one. Um, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, like, guys, like, I, we can go. really do some dangerous stuff here because the fo- yeah. like, do you know what the foam formation is actually measured by? How concentrated the peroxide is. So you don't actually need a lot of liquid. You just need it to be really, really mm. concentrated. So all you pretty much do is just add heaps of catalyst and then just like watch it unfold. All right, well, we've kind of got off track here with the hydrogen podcast. We've gone from hydrogen to, to <laughs> elephant toothpaste really quick. Um, we're, talking about hi- we sh- we're, talk- we're, we're talking about a type of hydrogen. It's all <sighs> amongst the same family. As Gina once said, if I put the wheel on my grandma, is she a bicycle? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> yes, she is. Okay, let's... Uh, James, let's just wrap this one up. All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you learned a bit about hydrogen. That was a very exciting topic. I know it excites me a lot. Um, if you didn't enjoy it, tough luck. You'll have an interesting one for you next time. Cheers, everybody. See you later. See you.